Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals from the perspective of people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting laws and regulations accordingly. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, visit animalwellnessaction.org. Wayne Paselli and Marty Irby are my usual co-hosts. I only have Marty today, but uh, Marty is awesome to carry the show all by himself. We don't need Wayne, the president and founder of Animal Wellness Action. Will will certainly suffice with Mr. Irby. He's the executive director of our organization and its chief lobbyist in D.C. And as is our custom, we start off these shows with uh, asking Mr. Irby to provide a legislative update what's going on on the hill i know you're busy marty hello and and what's the lowdown well thank you joe it's great to be here again with you today and of course we have a huge huge roster that we've been trying to work on in this congress uh about 15 bills or so but now that we enter the second year of a congress we really try to narrow it down to just the very few bills that we think we can actually get passed and done number one on the list and our number one priority for this congress is of course the big cat public safety act that we're going to get into into this episode a little bit more. The second bill that we are working on that we think we can get done and signed into law is the FDA Modernization Act. We currently have 30 Republican co-sponsors in the House, along with 30 Democrat co-sponsors and absolutely even match. The Senate bill is being led by Senator Rand Paul, along with Cory Booker, an unlikely pair in most instances. And we had a hearing this week in the House Energy and Commerce Health Subcommittee. So we were elated to be able to have the opportunity to address the bill We had some great positive testimony from Congressman Kurt Schrader and from Tony Cardenas from California. And we had some terrific letters that were submitted to the committee by Congresswoman Elaine Luria, Congressman Vern Buchanan, and of course, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, who was the guest on our last episode. We're making a lot of progress there. We think we can get that legislation included in a larger package called FDUFA that has to reauthorize the FDA's user fees and has to pass by basically July or August of this year, or they're going to have to lay off a thousand employees at the FDA. So we see a lot of momentum there. And then third, we have the Minks or Super Spreaders Act that many of you may know, we got passed through the House as an amendment to the Competes Act just a little over a month ago. Uh, Tremendously huge, huge opportunity. First time we've ever had any vote on the House or Senate floor on a single factory farming issue that passed and it passed overwhelmingly with tremendous support from both sides of the aisle. Uh, We are still now working to see what will happen in what they call a conference committee, where the Senate bill and the House bill that are completely different come together and conferees in Congress work out the differences. Our Minks or Super Spreaders Act would ban mink farming in the U.S. because minks are the number one super spreader of COVID besides humans. And it's a terrible, terrible health and human safety risk Aside from the animal cruelty that goes on, most of the pelts are being sold to the Chinese elite, and they're going for about 30% of the price that they were some years ago. So it's a dying industry, and it's a huge, huge health risk and hazard. Um, So we hope that everyone will continue to support us in that effort, and we'll keep you posted along the way. The fourth bill that we think we can get done in this Congress is the Bear Protection Act in the House. It's named the Bear Poaching Elimination Act in the Senate. One of the reasons we think we can get it done is it passed the Senate. 20 years ago, twice by unanimous consent, where 100 senators all agree to pass it. The now Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, was the leader of the bill back then. The current bill is being led by Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana, along with Tammy Duckworth, a Democrat from Illinois, 
who is the chair of the subcommittee of jurisdiction, and then the House bill being led by Ted Lieu, who's from California, along with a raft of great advocates in Congress, Rodney Davis, Glenn Thompson, Mike Thompson, and a few others. That bill would basically address the trade of their gallbladders because we are seeing that there has been an increase in the desire for bear gallbladders for their bile. The Chinese government has been promoting the use of bear bile as a treatment for COVID with no scientific basis. So poachers are out there killing these bears simply for their gallbladder and leaving the rest of the carcass. It's not a hunting issue. It's not an issue that deals with guns. It's simply a poaching issue. And we think we have a good shot at getting that one done as well. We've got a couple of new bills that we've been working on just last week. Congresswoman Nancy Mace, along with uh, Veronica Escobar from Texas, introduced the Pigs and Gestation Stalls or Pigs Act that would ban the use of gestation stalls, extreme confinement for these mother sows in pork production across the U.S. It's a complement to the ongoing efforts to try to get McDonald's, Wendy's, and other retailers in the fast food industry to stop utilizing these terrible practices in their supply chain. Carl Icahn has been working on that front. So it's a tremendous opportunity for us to be able to make a big difference. I don't see that we'll move that bill in this Congress, but it's definitely going to help drive the conversation. And then last, we have the Restoring Our American Mustangs Act that we will soon see introduced to address the crisis that we're dealing with, the wild horses out there. We've seen more wild horses rounded up on the range than we ever have in history. And we've got a multi-pronged approach. We're working with several members of Congress on both sides of the aisle. There's going to be another bill, the Veterans for Mustangs Act, that provides an opportunity for veterans to administer PZP birth control. It's going to be introduced, and we're going to eventually bring that into the larger package of the Rome Act, along with another bill that Congresswoman Dina Titus has to address the helicopter roundup. So that's where our focus is this year. Those top four that I listed are the ones we think we can get done. And then, of course, we're going to continue pressing forward for the introduction of other new bills in the next Congress along the way. So, Joe, got a really bunch of work we got going on here, and we just appreciate everyone's support out there who's been calling their members of Congress and advocating and really helping us make a huge difference in the world today. Marty, thank you so much for that. And I think the thanks to our listeners is certainly uh, appropriate. And not only for their actual advocacy, but for their financial support of the organization as well. And if you'd like to learn more about how to support us, either by smiling and dialing or uh, helping us uh, fund some of the expenses, you can visit animalwellnessaction.org and uh, figure out how to, to be a part of all this great work that Marty just described. And with that, I, with, with great pleasure and, and excitement, turn to our guest this week. Uh, Carol Baskin is joining us. This is the second time she has been on our show. The first time, uh, and Marty, I'm trying to remember when exactly we had her on. It may have been early 2020. because it was, I think was, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, earlier, I was speculating it might have been at the end of 2019, but uh, I had not even heard of the Tiger King yet. So we, we, we had Carol before Carol was cool. You've always been cool, Carol, but, but maybe internationally cool. So uh, she was a guest then talking about big uh, cats, and, and a lot has happened since. Holy cow. It's, it's hard to imagine what your world must have been like two years ago compared to what it is now, uh, and we can talk a little bit about that. But uh, she is a, a longtime uh, animal rights act activist, CEO of Big Cat Rescue, um, headquartered in Tampa, Florida. Uh, it's a nonprofit animal sanctuary. She attracted the attention of local, national, and international media outlets to the plight of cat, 
captive big cats after the debut of the 2020 netflix true crime documentary tiger king since then um you've been on dancing with the stars and what greater in this day and age carol what says you've made it more than being on dancing with the stars <laughs> Well, hello, all you cool cats and kittens. And Joseph, it's great to see you again. Marty, I spend so much time lobbying with you in D.C. that you're practically a brother by another mother. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So so thank you for that. And of course, that is kind of your trademark phrase. You, you have your own phrase now. So that says something, too. And then right now, uh, there is a new show on Peacock TV. Uh, produced by NBC, Joe versus Carol, in which you were played by Kate McKinnon, who's who's one of my favorites, uh, too. I've not seen the show. Marty has. I don't have TV really, so uh, I, I, I've not been able to catch it. I did watch the trailer on on Netflix. Um, how how do you feel about uh, Joe versus Carol? Does that um, uh, tell a good story? Can our listeners learn some some truth by by watching that show? Well, it was a lot more truthful than Tiger King was. And as you know, or may know, Tiger King was seen by some 64 million people in the first few weeks that it was out. And so it had a narrative that was, <laughs> it was a mixed blessing because on the one hand, when we would lobby for a bill that would ban cub petting in private possession of big cats, nobody in Congress believed that there even was such a thing or that it was a problem. And so we had a, a very hard time getting traction for it. After 64 million people watched Tiger King, everybody knows there's a huge problem in America with these unregulated backyard breeders who are pimping out hundreds of cubs that then end up being discarded into private homes. So Unfortunately, the, the narrative in Tiger King was to create a feud, a made up feud between me and Joe Exotic. My husband led the lawsuit against Joe Exotic to try and end the abuse there at the sanctuary, but I guess they thought it'd be more fun if it was me versus Joe, even though I've never even spoken to him. And then Tiger King 2 came out in November of last year and practically no one saw it because by episode two, they had exonerated me of the lies that these animal abusers have been telling about me for years, which is um, the, the narrative everybody was left with after Tiger King was that I was a gold digging, home wrecking murderer. And they let it hang there in a year for a year of people believing that. And then when they came out with Tiger King 2, the Homeland Security produced, or they produced a document from Homeland Security saying that Don Lewis is alive and well in Costa Rica. But nobody saw that. And even the people who did didn't want to talk about it because they had all been trash talking me for the past year. So that never got the coverage that it should have. But there were a number of other productions that came out since then. One was Joe versus Carol, which is the Kate McKinnon piece that you're referring to. It's streaming live on Peacock right now. And they did a better job of getting at the uh, issues. In fact, I heard somebody from another animal organization say it was an eight hour long ad for why we need the Big Cat Public Safety Act, <laughs> which I think was great that that was the takeaway that people felt like after watching it, that they really understand why we need to end cub petting and private possession of big cats. What did not get as much fanfare but is also streaming right now on Peacock is the Louis Theroux piece. He's with the BBC. It's aired in the BBC or in the UK rather over a year ago, but it's just now available to US citizens via Peacock and it's called Shooting Joe Exotic. And so Louis Theroux had done a piece on Joe back in 2011 
And it was called America's Most Dangerous Pets. And it was talking about these crazy people who had these really dangerous animals in unsafe situations all over America. And so the UK has been making fun of us since 2011 for not having a better legal system to rein all of this in. But when Tiger King came out, Louis Theroux looked at the footage that he had shot in 2011 and realized that he had footage of Joe saying that they were trying to hire a hitman to kill me back then. So he wanted to look at it again. And so he came out and he talked to us and he talked to other people. And I think it did, it did a much better job than either of those programs, Tiger King or Joe versus Carol, in getting at the truth. And then uh, we also did our own production with Think Factory that has aired on Discovery Plus. So it's streaming live currently over on Discovery Plus, and it's called Carol Baskin's Cage Fight. And what we did in Carol Baskin's Cage Fight is we showed what we have actually been doing all of this time. It wasn't a personal feud between me and Joe Exotic. It's been a decades-long battle to save big cats from extinction by ending all of these abusive um, money-making schemes, mostly in America, that deal with big cats. And so we look into some of the major players that were exploiting these animals and abusing them and then show what was really going on behind the scenes. I think some of the, the most impactful scenes that people will see in this is we, we were awarded the GW Zoo by the courts after a decade of litigation. And we decided to dig up the bones in this area that they referred to as the dead hole to see whether or not the things that whistleblowers had been saying were true. So many people said that as soon as they couldn't use the cats any longer, they would kill them, cut the teeth out and sell the teeth, sell the hides. And that's all illegal under the Endangered Species Act. And so I wanted to see when we dig up cats in this field, are we finding cats, one, or have they been sold and not put in the ground? Because we know hundreds of them have ended up there. And if they are there, do they have their teeth or their hides? And so what we found was really shocking. We had the help of some of Joe's family to help point us to the right direction of where to find these animals. And they were the ones who said that Joe was constantly cutting the teeth out of these cats and turning them into jewelry and trinkets. And so by digging that up on TV and letting people see the evidence uncovered and see the kind of people that are behind these cub petting schemes, I think it does a much better job, obviously, of telling the truth than any of the other productions do, because this is documented facts that we have put out there for the public. So I'm really hoping people will tune in to Carol Baskin's Cage Fight. Yeah, very, very good. And and just to dabble on the the overnight sensation that that you became. Uh, in fact, that's what you were. You, you people talk about overnight celebrity, and and you you really had that. Um, to the point where Marty says that that when he takes you, you know, for meetings on the Hill, uh, that you are by far the most immediately recognized and sought after of the people he takes. Uh, and I almost feel like I should send you a five dollar Starbucks gift card for all the times I've used your name to impress people relative to my podcast. You know, I'll mention you know all the authors. I'll even mention you know famous uh, actresses and and things like that. And it's like uh huh uh huh. And then I say oh and Carol Baskin. And literally it doesn't fail that their eyes light up. You have really in some way caught the public's fancy. What's that like for you? Tell me about your experience. 
you know, when Tiger King came out, we had been working with the producers for five years on what they said was going to be Blackfish for big cats. And so when we started seeing the trailers for something that was called Tiger King, and it just looked like this crazy show about Joe Exotic, we started asking around, who's working on that show? What's that about? And so we sat there and binge watched it like everybody else did. And we were stunned because we, in fact, what my husband and I said at the end of it was, well, that was a missed opportunity. And no sooner had those words come out of my mouth that my phone started ringing. And for three months straight, it was just people cursing and swearing at me and saying they wanted me dead. And they wanted the cats to all be killed because they didn't belong in cages. And, you know, I, I realized that people did not understand the issues after seeing Tiger King, that they, it was totally lost on them that we are trying to end the practice of having big cats in cages through this legislative work that we're doing. And so I started really trying to claw my way back from that abyss and bring the focus back to the big cats. And so Dancing with the Stars enabled me to do that. But it wasn't until I flew from Tampa, where we're located, out to Hollywood for Dancing with the Stars and landed there at a little private airport because they gave me a private jet because of COVID. When I got there and people started running up and asking for selfies, that was my first um, realization that there was this phenomenon that you mentioned. Because here locally, everybody knows me because we've been around for 30 years and we're Tampa's darling. You know, I get stopped on the street all the time with people saying how much they love Big Cat Rescue. So nothing seemed different for the people that knew us. It was only this, all of this vitriol and hate from the people who believed what they saw in Tiger King. And then this other side of the coin, which was all of this celebrity type um, reaction in places where I'd never been before and didn't expect that anybody would know me. And then it's been really weird everywhere I've been since that, that, that seems to be the case. People want to come up. They want to say hello. They, they all say, which is so funny. Everybody who comes up to me says, I didn't believe the horrible things they said about you in Tiger King. Can I get a selfie? <laughs> it's like, well, how did all of these people see that? And I never saw any hint of that on social media. <laughs> Right. All I saw was the negative stuff. Right, right. <laughs> and what I really admire about you, Carol, is that you're using this celebrity to try to do even more good. I think it'd be probably pretty accepted if you would decided, well, I'm going to come out with my own, you know, cooking show or exercise videos. I'm going to, you know, do an interview show. But, but you're really still just working it right i mean marty talks about just the the huge number of meetings uh you you have so i, I really just have to say as a personal note of admiration I'm, I'm really really impressed that you're using what could be a money maker for you to really do additional good in the world so so thank you for that do you ever have like like a moment when you're like marty mentioned you know you you had a meeting with with, with ted cruz do you ever have like a holy cow how did I get to meet with, with like a formal presidential candidate, a senator, senator from one of the, 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 large, the largest state in the union? Um, do you ever just like, wow, how did, I, how did I get here? Well, I mostly thank Marty for that because he's been the person who's been able to book all of these appointments. And when you talk about a packed schedule, I've been to D.C. three times in the last three or four months. And it's been because Marty has set up 30 interviews every time I come up there. And so it's just, I mean, we are literally running from one office to another, but 
I, I really did appreciate the fact that he was able to get an a, a audience with some of the actual members, a lot of the actual members, which is not something I've experienced in our lobbying for this bill. I've been trying to get this bill passed since the 90s. Never have I been able to meet with the legislators themselves. It's always been with their aides. And, you know, their aides are the ones that bring them the packages. But still, to be able to actually get across the message firsthand to these lawmakers is so important. It's like the telephone game. If you talk to somebody for 20 minutes and then you expect them to go relay your message to somebody else, you have no idea what that is by the time it gets to the person who's going to be the person to actually sign their name to it. So I really appreciated the opportunity to meet with Senator Cruz. And he was a senator that I did not think was going to be willing to meet with me, even though I was born in Texas and I was a Republican until January of last year when uh, the insurrection happened. But I didn't think that he would be somebody who would fancy a meeting with somebody who's known as an animal protection activist. That just—that that was yeah. just probably never going to happen in my lifetime. And I'm thankful both to the celebrity from Tiger King and to Marty to actually making that happen. T- tell me a little bit more about that meeting with Senator Cruz, right? Because I, I would have shared that that inkling that it may not be the most likely meeting to occur, right? So give us a fly on the wall kind of perspective of of how that went. I had seen a picture years ago of Senator Cruz with a tiger skin rug. And so I went into the office really bracing myself because I didn't know if that was going to be in the office. And if it was, they had tucked it away. So I was really happy that I didn't see that. And in fact, I had several other um, aides who had members who were known for hanging heads of animals on their walls who would tell me very quickly, there's no cats on the wall. You don't have to worry. There's no cats on the wall. So um, I went into it feeling a little uneasy anyway, knowing that this was probably going to be kind of confrontational. And, you know, he's kind of known for speaking his mind. And so am I, and that could really not go well, (laughs) but I, I was, I was so pleased that he was willing to hear me out. And afterwards, his aide seemed to think that the meeting had gone really well. And so all of those things left me encouraged that even if he doesn't sign on as a co-sponsor of the Big Cat Public Safety Act, that he won't be somebody who stands in the way of it. And the reason I believe that we found some middle ground is because it's my understanding that he cares about uh, conservation And this really is about saving the tiger in the wild. This is the very first step we have to take before we lose the tiger in the wild in the next five years. And we have to pass this bill or it's just, they're doomed. Yeah. So when people think of the Big Cat Public Safety Act, I believe that they imagine that it's relatively confined in impact to the elimination of, you know, celebrities, movie stars, rich people, even not rich people from having tigers as pets and the tiger, of course, petting operations. How does it impact tigers in the wild? What's the connection back to the jungle? So the reason this is so important is because our state department actually gave us a letter that we have given to all of these members of Congress that where the state department is saying that it impairs their ability to save the tiger in the wild because of the fact that the U.S. has left this unregulated mess continue for such a long period of time. And what happens is in 
Asian countries, they want to, especially China, they want to legalize the farming of tigers. And they say, if we farm tigers and let people sell their teeth and their hides and their bones, then that will take the pressure off of the wild tiger. And people have made this kind of stupid argument over and over again, and it's always proven to be not true. But what happens is if you expand the market, it's currently illegal to trade in tiger parts because they're an endangered species. If you start to normalize that or you make it legal to trade in the captive bred versions of those animals, then it expands the notion that tigers are doing fine, that it's okay to participate in this trade. And the people who can afford it will always want the premium product. If you want a tiger penis because you need the virility that comes from that in your head, you don't want the inbred cage-raised version of a tiger. You want the wild, fierce tiger that's been out there guarding territory for six or seven years and has proven his masculinity. That's what you want. And it's a whole lot cheaper to shoot a tiger, $3 for a bullet, versus raising a tiger until it's five years old at a cost of easily over $50,000. So you're, you're creating all of this demand for these tiger parts that will cause the extinction of the tiger in the wild because people want those premium products if they can afford it. And so when we go to Asian countries and we say, you guys should not have these tiger farms, you should not be stockpiling all of these tiger parts, hoping someday that the tiger is extinct and you can trade in this legally. They look at us and they say, you don't even know where your tigers are. Ours are all on state-sponsored tiger farms. In the US, they're running around all over the place and we have no idea how many of our tigers end up in the black market trade. What was interesting in this letter that we took around from the State Department to all of the members of Congress was that the very same day that they wrote that letter was the first day that they actually caught 60 some odd packages of lion and tiger skulls being shipped from the United States to Thailand, which is absolutely illegal. And yet, you know, they've said for years, well, the U.S. isn't part of this whole black market trade. That's because nobody's looking at the packages going out from the U.S. from all of these cubs being bred, used, and then discarded. And so when finally somebody was looking, it was like, oh my gosh, yes, we do have this problem. So this is why we have to end the private possession and the cub petting in order to save the tiger in the wild. Mm-hmm. Marty, how do you see uh, the impact uh, Carol's able to make? And, and what do you add to her arguments when you're with her on the Hill? Well, it's been so fabulous to have Carol here. And literally, I will say you cannot hardly walk one block without three or four people stopping Carol. We went to one event. I know one of the trips she was here, the Alabama State Society. And I just wanted to introduce her to a few people. And there was a line like 40 people deep just wanting to, to come up and talk to Carol. So it's, it's absolutely um, really something I've never seen before, even with other celebrities here. But Carol is so humble, so terrific. She says yes to everyone to take a picture and is just such a kind person. And, you know, I think it really has had a big impact because it's creating so much awareness. And just like we, you know, talked about these meetings, we had roughly 100 meetings over the past three trips that Carol has been here to. And I would say at least half of them, maybe more, were with the actual members of Congress themselves. And, you know, quite honestly, unless you're a high profile constituent in that person's district, or you have some sort of celebrity status, or you know that member of Congress well, it is difficult to get a meeting with them in person. 
And so it has just really opened doors that we've never seen before. We just got some members of Congress on as co-sponsors that I probably would have never thought we would have gotten, but we've gotten them on. They've been terrific. We got Congressman uh, Stephen Palazzo, a Republican from Mississippi on board, Congressman Pete Sessions from Texas on board. And just like the meeting we had with Senator Cruz, it was tremendous. I mean, his staff did say that there was no better meeting that could have gone any better uh, than the one that we had. And it was terrific. And he was very reasonable and listened to us. And we talked through the various arguments and things like that. So it's having a huge, huge impact on moving this bill forward. And I think we're going to see some action in the next month or two, hopefully within the next month in the House of Representatives to get this thing passed through there. So we have a little more time to work on getting it through the Senate. That's always the challenge with any bill, no matter the legislation, no matter the issue, the Senate's always tougher and always will be. And the system was designed that way. So we're seeing a lot of action currently have 256 House co-sponsors more than twice the number of Republicans we had in the previous Congress. I think we have 47 Senate co-sponsors right now and just tremendous interest in the issue. So, you know, we're going to get this bill done, I think, and it's going to be largely, mostly in part because of Carol's trips up here to D.C. and the lobbying that she's done. And then our collective collaboration. We have a call every Monday afternoon. And who we haven't talked about on this podcast today is is Mr. Howard Baskin. And he he is the guy who keeps the wheels turning and keeps everything running, uh, the trains on time and keeps us all in line, really. And, uh, you know, really has done a great job at managing the advocacy and uh, keeping his foot on the gas on this issue and uh, letting Carol come up here to spend the time with us that she has. So I don't think that I've ever worked on a bill that someone came from out of town to lobby with me on that has been as effective as Carol has been on this legislation. No offense to anybody else that's out there. We love everybody that comes to see us, but Carol has had a tremendous impact. And the members of Congress comment about that too. Um, so, you know, we're just thrilled and, and we may have to get her to come back one or two more times before this is over with. Um, now that COVID has subsided a little bit and we are getting a lot of meetings in person, it's definitely opening up and um, there are opportunities ahead of us that are going to be very fruitful for this legislation. All right. Excellent. And, and speaking of advocacy, uh, you have a website, right? BigCatAct.com. Uh, tell us about that website, Carol, and what you hope it does uh, and will continue to do. Well, I'd like to also uh, follow on with what Marty just said in that my husband, Howard Baskin, has been absolutely amazing at gathering all of the the ground support that we need. And so working with the lobbyists for the Sheriff's Association and getting all of these first responders and Sheriff's Associations and animal control officers and everybody else to send in their endorsements, that's helped tremendously. So I can't say enough good about that. Bigcatact.com is a website where we make it easy for people to contact their member of Congress. So if you go to that URL or if you text the word CATS to 52886 and data and messaging uh, apply. But when you go there and put in your name, address, and telephone number, the system is so smart, it knows who your senators are and who your representative is. And then it gives you three options. And I would suggest people take all three. You can send an email, it's already preformed. You can edit it, which makes it more personal. And it'll send to your two senators and your member, your house member. You can send a tweet, it knows who your person is and tweets to them. And it, the most important thing people can do is make what we call the call of the wild. And so also with all of that same information, it'll text you a little link and then it will call you if you tell it to. 
and it will give you a script and say, this is what we want you to say. We want you to say, please ask your boss to co-sponsor the Big Cat Public Safety Act. Really easy for people to do. They can make the call on the weekends or at night if they're shy and don't want to make a call in person, but the system will actually dial their senators and their representatives in succession. So you just leave that message three times in a row and you're done. And we have generated tens of thousands of these calls and emails and tweets. And I think that it has had a huge impact because when Marty and I go into these offices and we say, we're here for the Big Cat Public Safety Act, sometimes we don't even have to say that because they, they figure why I'm there. And they're like, oh my gosh, we hear from your constituents or our constituents all the time about this bill. Many of them have said it's the bill they hear about from their constituents the most. And I think it's because we make these tools possible to make it easy for people to do that at bigcatact.com. Yeah, it's you know what you, you you, you ahead, even go into many of these meetings. I just have to add this. And we've had instances where they have Carol's name up on the television screen in the office or the entire staff is dressed in tiger and leopard print. I mean, it's astounding to see, but they definitely have gotten the message. And there's not a single office I think that we've talked to that has said there is any other animal related bill that has gotten near the calls and emails that this one has gotten. Well, that that's an extraordinary testament to the power not of, of TV, but also in overcoming a great hurdle when, when people think, you know, I, I could walk in through my apartment complex and I would bet maybe one out of 30 people would even know who our representative in Congress is, right? So the easier we make make it for people to make those communications, um, yeah, I think that plays a big role. So bully for you for integrating that that technology. Um, Carol, what would, what, what's next, right? So let's, let's assume a best case scenario, and maybe it's even a likely scenario that this is, that this is passed. Where, where will you turn your, your, your power next? Actually, I'm already there and I've been working on it, believe it or not, since 2003. But my belief is that the way that we save these cats in the wild is we first have to pass this bill so that we turn off the faucets of all of these animals that are ending up in the black market and stimulating demand. The second thing that we need to do is monetize cats in the wild. And so I see a world where there are live internet streaming, 360 degree cameras in the places where Jaguar may be coming down to the riverbank to hunt or Himalayan uh, snow leopards are in the den with raising their young and that all of these cameras are sending live video feeds out to people who are subscribing, just like you would subscribe to Netflix or Hulu, but that the money from those subscription, the lion's share of that money actually go into the crypto wallets of the people who live where those animals are. If you think about where wild cats live, they live in the areas with the poorest populations. And those people are cutting down forests in order to be able to eke out a a bare minimal existence to feed their families by turning that into farmland. What if all of the money from all of the people around the world who want to see these animals doing what they do in the wild, serving their role in the ecosystem, what if all of that money went to the people who then live around those animals and become the game wardens to protect those habitats and protect those animals? I think we democratize and monetize this entire industry and that enables us to save the cat in the wild. Carol, before we move on from the pipeline you describe, um, I know what cub petting is because I've seen a lot of friends post these photos. What is cub petting for the people who have not heard about it? 
it is exactly what it sounds like. It is petting a cub. And that on its face doesn't sound terrible. But here's what happens. As soon as that cub is born, they have to rip that cub away from the mother because the mother just in the first few weeks would teach that cat to be like a feral cat. So that you're not going to be able to hold it and have your picture made with it. When they're pulling them from the mothers, it means they don't get the mother's milk. They don't get the nutrition that they need. They're being fed puppy milk replacer or goat's milk replacer, which is not sufficient for a growing tiger. And so they often grow with horrible bone deficiencies, rotten teeth, and all kinds of birth defects from the inbreeding and speed breeding of these cats. They're not meant to pump out cubs every two months, which is what they can do. Because in the wild, a mother tiger might have a litter every three to five years. And she raises those cubs up and teaches them how to hunt. And her body has time to recover from that. But at these speed breeding operations, they need cubs every couple of months because USDA says that if you use a cub under eight weeks, it's too young. It doesn't have any kind of immunity. It's dangerous for the cub. They say if you use a cub over 12 weeks, it's too dangerous for the person because by that time they can take a finger off of a child. And so they're doing all of this breeding and using of cubs for about a one month window. And then they have to get rid of them because they cost tens of thousands of dollars to feed properly over the next 20 years of their life. So this cub petting is the, what's driving hundreds of these cubs to be born, exploited, and then discarded. And then the animal rescue organizations have to generally, I would guess, take care of these. And I think the math works out. Gosh, that's about a million dollars for the lifetime uh, of a cat, which drains meaningful resources from other areas where it could be more necessarily uh, uh, applied. One of the things that Wayne Paselli likes to point out when we're lobbying together is that this is an unfunded mandate. You have about five of these people who are breeding cubs using them for about a one month window, charging 20 bucks a head. They're not making a lot of money off of it. And yet you're creating these multi-million dollar liabilities for sanctuaries like Big Cat Rescue and other accredited sanctuaries to have to take care of those animals for the rest of their lives. So all of the economic arguments that you would usually make in DC are in favor of ending cub petting and banning private ownership. Okay, very well. Uh, Marty, final thoughts uh, uh, from you. Well, no, I just want to say thank you to Carol for all of her tremendous work on this issue and for taking the time to come to D.C. and fly up here and putting herself at risk with COVID and all of the things that are going on in the world. And, you know, as we said, we want you guys to go out there, contact your members of Congress. It is very, very important that you do it in the next 30 days or less. It's, uh, it's really going to make a difference in the next month or two, whether we're able to get this passed on through the House and the Senate because we are in an election year. Once we get to July, we're going to be in the August recess, and then people stop talking about legislation until the election's over, and then you're left with just a very, very tight window down in November and December, um, what they call sort of the lame duck session um, before the next Congress begins. So we're at the point at this stage in the game where it's time for this bill to pass, time to get it done, time to stop this terrible, terrible abuse and save the tigers in the wild at the end of the day. So thank you, Carol, for coming on today, for coming to D.C., and for all that you do for this legislation, for the cats, and for our organization as well. Well, thank you so much for everything you guys are doing, and you are absolutely right. It is now or never for the tiger. Right, and you can go to Big Act, excuse me, let me start that over. You can go to BigCatAct.com 
com and be very easily connected to your representatives and even have uh, the software do a lot of the work uh, so far as dialing and setting everything up for you. So be sure to do that. Uh, we're recording this on March 18th. So if we're talking about 30 to 45 days uh, between now and in mid-April seems to be the climactic time to get this energy applied in the right uh, direction. So um, again, Carol, thank you. A great guest uh, as always. Marty, thank you, sir. And thank you so much to, to our audience for listening to the Animal Wellness Podcast. Be sure to visit animalwellnessaction.org for all of our news and information and to sign up for our news alerts. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, and we invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or Spotify. I'm your host, Joseph Grove, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast.